Hello and welcome to the Court Games LCG Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Trevor Cuba, a.k.a. Kakita Odimaru, and joined here by my... Are we still doing Glorious? How we're Glorious still glor- is this? We're still doing Glorious. I'm, I'm blazingly okay. Glorious. Let's see how long this lasts. I'm Zar Aegis, the Haughty Magistrate, the gloriously blazing Haughty Magistrate. Well, let me ask you this, Glorious Haughty Magistrate. Is it very glorious to lose the audio files from last week's recording, creating a delay in our recording schedule? Um, It was Voice of Honored. <laughs> oh, we we hard canceled it. Is that what happened? Yeah, what happened was it got Voice of Honored. So that's a that, thing that, that happened. Would, that would imply that there are other podcasts that are just so much better than you that they hard stop you from delivery. <laughs> well, it was more the fact that I don't know. You just you dropped that Voice of Honor on me. You canceled out oh, every. I did it. Yeah, you did. It, it was you. That'd be a very crazy thing. It was like, I'm gonna, that's a Scorpion <laughs> thing. Like, I'm going to cancel you. Well, it I mean. screws me over, but. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. Scorpion did play Voice of Honor for a while, right? I mean, there was I a mean, time when on... everybody was just playing all the cancels. <laughs> oh, God. You know what? I, I there, There's probably is a deck where it's like all, what is it now? All, uh, Forge Edict, Voice of Honor, Censure. And defend your yeah all um well where there's like a twelve cancel in the deck probably I mean that deck would have to have a really gosh darn good dynasty side to be uh worth doing but it might exist yeah uh anyway that's like uh, way high level though for this so let's go <laughs> ahead and move on and let's talk about uh event dates and uh let's just say this one origins got moved to we still have August here on the thing it should say October. <laughs> And he's changing yep. it right now as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I wonder if they got changed. It's something we talked about uh, last week when we tried to record, but uh, Origins made an announcement. Uh, they have an event that was supposed to go down here in the summer. It's been moved over to the late summer, early fall. Uh, I could have swear it was Oct- uh, or August. Apparently it's October. Yep. Um, and following that, uh, FFG has announced a update, nothing major, but a update reflecting the current schedule. Since a lot of like all of their events for the year have been postponed, not canceled. Well, unless you're the uh, X-wing championship <laughs> that's happening, but yeah. that's been canceled. Yeah, all of the uh, all the Star Wars, uh, all the all the Armada, Imperial Assault, Legion, uh, X-wing, Destiny. All their world championships has been canceled because that was supposed to go down at Adepticon, but Adepticon didn't happen. So there you go. Yeah, and as we've mentioned before, we have no hard uh, information, but would not be surprised if Gen Con gets canceled. You know, <laughs> here's kind of hoping it doesn't because that's kind of like my one big. Well, it, it was supposed to be like my one big time off for the whole year. Now, if that doesn't happen, i got to find another big time-off thing to do. Something that is coming out. So, if this podcast releases on time, assuming one or more of us does not lose our audio, on Saturday the 25th, the London Legion is doing their online Jigoku event. Uh, Dan Mui from the Jade Throne is doing the North American side, and uh, our old co-host Finbar Bagley is doing the uh, European side of that thing. Yep. So if you guys want to get some uh, L5R action, or at least like poke around and see what's happening on, uh, do it on Saturday 25th. Look look around online, and um, there's going to be some events going on. Yeah, and I see that you've signed up, and I probably am going to sign up too. 
yep, I signed up and I had no idea what I'm going to play, but you know, it's just going to be a time to uh, flip the virtual cards, as they say. You're going to play Crane. So, I mean, that's a that was a given. Yeah, you're going to play Crane. So, I don't know why, I don't know what the uh, mystery is, you're going to play Crane. I mean, no, to be very honest, I have been doing nothing but playing Final Fantasy VII Remake for the last couple of Did weeks. Did you beat it already? So, I am, yeah, sure. Yeah. I have. Playing it some more. Okay. Playing other JRPGs. I mean, I'm just playing video games right now. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I, I got my island on Animal Crossing to five star. So that's a thing. You are very proud of five that. Star I saw your post. And, yeah, I managed to recreate a, um, a musical... Um, a musical scene on my island. So that's a thing that I'm doing, that I've done. <laughs> and uh, I, I got my next musical staging all up in my head. I just got to wait for the right outfits to come on sale. So, yeah, that's a thing also that I'm doing. I mean, we all deal with the apocalypse in different ways, my friend. Yes, Animal Crossing and Final Fantasy. Our main topic for the day, I posted something on the social medias asking people kind of like, what are they looking for? Because there's no new news coming out. So what is some, a topic people like to hear? And the thing I got by far the most requests for is more beginner info. Information for people who are new to the game or just trying to get in, trying to understand like core fundamentals of this game. Uh, a while ago on the Crane Clan website, I wrote a beginner's primer. Which is pretty good. And most people say, like, oh, it's good for info, and also it's good for veteran players to kind of, like, refresh on some of these basic core concepts. Uh, but it's time to reevaluate it and kind of look at it and uh, present it here for people who just want to, like, get a figure out what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, it's also, it's very good for even us veteran players to, uh, to, to, I guess, get a refresher on the basics because, you know, Sometimes people forget what rings does, and sometimes people forget <laughs> what to do, and you just buy things because you felt like it, and you did not think about it. I don't know who would do anything <laughs> like that. Sometimes you just blow it, and someone's attacking you, and you just play. I'm going to display a power on this water ring, even though it does absolutely nothing to the board state. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That didn't happen all that much. <laughs> Yeah, that actually, I did that. I did that. Um, I, and I honestly don't know why I did it now. At the time, I, it made sense. I don't know. I, you're, you're on Jigoku, and it like highlights a card, it glows and stuff. Like, oh, this uh, this exit opportunity has arisen. Do you wish to do it? And you're like, yes! Smash that activate button. Don't <laughs> I don't know There's why I did it. But I did. So, it the happened. easiest Scorpion game I've had in a long time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, going back to basics, what are a couple of things that you would uh, tell people to, uh, to start off with? Well, let's see, uh, the first thing is, like, let's just go through the openings, other than, like, setting up the game, let's start playing again. So the first thing we're going to do is, we got a mulligan. What are we looking for in our mulligans, and how much money are we putting on bodies as we buy them in the Dynasty phase? So... This is really dependent on which type of deck you have, and there's essentially four different deck types. There's, like, you know, permutations of all of these things, and there's always exceptions, but there's four big uh, types. 
Uh, I'm going to start off with mid-tier, which is... It used to be the standard, although a lot of people, a lot of decks have like moved on to other deck types. But essentially, what a mid-tier deck is, is you're gonna have a bunch of little people, and when I say little people, I mean characters that cost one or two yeah. fate. Maybe you buy a couple of those in the first round, and then you're looking for a three or a four drop character, someone who costs three or four fate. You're gonna put like two or three fate on them, and they're gonna be around for a big portion of the game maybe not the whole thing but they're gonna be around for a little bit so you have that little wave of like buy a little cheap guys to get money get a slightly bigger guy load them up with a one or two attachments and stuff that's pretty your basic thing right right and you see a lot of decks like this like uh basically out of phoenix out of dragon although dragon is moving towards um, other things too um crane definitely followed a strategy but yeah those are basically the kind of clans that you're going to be doing because what you're doing is you're setting things up. Basically, you're buying the small body to set yourself to basically bank your fate and bank your economy so you can afford the big bodies later on down the line. So, when you're mulliganing, uh, you have like this kind of mid-tier deck. Uh, you're going to want to get rid of, let's see, generally you don't need any holdings on the first turn. You don't need anyone expensive. Like, if you have a four or five cost character get rid in of there, them. let's get rid of those. Um... And get rid of any card that you don't think is going to be useful on the first turn. Well, that's kind of a relative statement. But you're looking for, you like, the ideal is you want at least one character that costs one, and then another character that costs either two or three, depending on. Preferably two, because it saves you more money. Uh, but if you have a three drop, that's fine. Put two fate on that three drop, and maybe get some free attachments, and you're perfectly yeah. fine. By the end of this thing, you should have what, like one or two fate in your pool left over to buy cards? Ideally, you want one or two fate. Um, again, it depends on what clan you're playing, but you generally want one fate if uh, ideally two fates. Yeah. So that also like let, lets you know how deck construction goes in here, so you're not going to put a whole lot of very expensive events in this deck, and you're not going to put a lot of... Maybe you might have a couple of like big conflict characters, but generally you don't want like tiny conflict characters yeah. like uh, Ancient Master or Steward of Law. Someone like, you know, a one-coster. Yeah, and those conflict characters is always good because sometimes you just need an extra body in a conflict, or you just need a surprise, I'm attacking. Yeah, sometimes you just need a body just to you just need to start an attack. You don't necessarily need to win yeah. or <laughs> um, do anything else, or you just need to start the conflict so you can move other things in afterwards. So that's what a, a, a good uh, body, a tiny conflict character is exactly. for you. Uh, for your opening flop, um, it's a bit subjective statement, but you want to get any, rid of anything that's not useful in the first turn. So this is anything that's expensive. If you have some like key cards that are useful later on, but you're too expensive, because you only have like one or two fate. Yeah. Uh, maybe you have zero fate. So you want to have very cheap things, uh, things that are very key to your game plan. Like as a crane, I will search for a voice of honor. Uh, if I was um, uni Unicorn, I would keep that uh, Spoils of War. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Try to get some more card draw. You know, something that's a real bread and butter to the fundamentals mm -hmm. of the deck. You'd have to ask the individual clans exactly what your, like, key cards are. But most importantly, it's very, very cheap. <laughs> it's cheap, and it's, uh, well, yeah, you want, you want cards that are cheap and things that you can basically could either swing things in your favor or prevent breaks round one. Yeah. yeah. 
when you when you get more used to um certain deck types, you know, oh, I've got this one card that's very useful against this deck or this type of matchup, but it's going to take a little experience to figure out right. what it is. But when you get to figure out that, like, oh, I've got this thing that actually costs two, and there's no way I can play it for the first turn or maybe the first uh, two turns, but I don't want to be looking for it later, so I'm just going to get it right now and hold on to it. Exactly. Those are... Those are a few exceptions, but for you, you have to figure out what that value card is. <laughs> we need to be here for a whole day talking about individual deck na- yeah. matchups to figure out exactly what those you, are. Look, uh, basically, when you're once you've played your deck a couple times, you'll know what card you'll always want to see, and those are the cards you kind of want to generally, uh, if not hardball for it, but at least softball for it. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, moving on, the next deck type, that has an interesting mulligan strategy is Swarm. Yeah. This is very popular with like things like Krabbits out of Crab. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lion has a Blitz strategy. And a Swarm deck is, I have, I'm going to try to buy a whole bunch of small bodies with these like one cost or two cost characters. Fill the board with it. And I'm just going to attack my opponent with so many cards that he they can't do anything to really stop it. Because, oh, if you bow a character or uh, kill a character. It doesn't really matter because there's several more of them. Right. And this is augmented with cards that do universal bumps. Perfect example out of Crab is... Cootie Labs. Uh, what is that one card? Cootie uh, Labs. Cootie Labs. Yeah. That gives all my characters plus one, plus one. If it's only, if only you got like one four-drop character, doesn't do anything. If I've got four characters, that's huge. Yep. Absolutely, and that's why things like keepers come into play, and um, things like and uh, cards when you're mulliganing for your on your uh, when you're mulliganing cards in Dynasty. Obviously, you're going to throw anything in the first round. You're going to throw anything that costs more than two away, right? Out of mm-hmm. your Dynasty on your conflict side, you're gonna you're gonna mulligan hard for a card called Those Who Serve. That basically reduces yes. the cost of every card you're going to play by one. And that that card is going to be a staple in the uh, in the swarm deck because reducing anything cost by one that's just a lot of value. Getting a two cost for one is a lot of value, you know. Yeah, because a swarm deck when you're when you're done with your dynasty phase, it has generally the same amount of money that a mid tier and other mm-hmm. deck types have, which is like one or two fate hanging around. But if you have those who serve, it's very possible to buy all the characters on your board. And still have like four or five fate left over just because of the value that those who serve gives you. Those who serve was recently errated, so it's not quite as ridiculous. You can't buy characters for free right. anymore. But it still generates money, and generating value is a huge staple of getting doing well. Yeah, game. absolutely. So, you know, once you get all those people out there, once you get, uh, you know, for cheap, you kind of want. Um, and these bodies generally don't have that much stats. So that's what you always mm-hmm. kind of... The other thing you kind of want to mull for is, um, on your Dynasty side, is to look for uh, things like like Cooney Labs, or things that can bolster your um, your people's power. So, or hold... See, I don't think there's anything Dynasty... Or I don't think there's anything kind of uh, conflict side that does a universal, like, everyone on my side of the board gets plus one, plus one. But you do have smaller forms. Bonsai, Bonsai for exactly. example. It's, it's free, except for the honor cost. Gets you a lot of things. The uh, fine katana and ori- uh, elegant uh, let's say oriental fed. Uh, well, elegant tested is a, is a separate issue because that could take one character and un- uh, bow it, so it's free for more attacks. Uh, but that's also a very key card in a sw- if you have a lot of small bodies. Mm-hmm. 
Phallic Intestine is something worth holding on yeah. to. Um, and also, uh, they hold on to, because sometimes these swarm decks, just because you primarily want to buy tiny bodies, doesn't mean everyone in the deck is small. Sometimes you have something big, like Hina Kasada, who is a clan champion, so he costs five, and he's very expensive, and he's probably the only thing you're going to buy on that turn. But he's useful in the deck because he generates so much value. So what you do is like, oh, I've got, but you like, I've got Hina Kasada right there. I don't want to, I can't get rid of him yet because he just showed up after the mulligan. So instead of only by like one or two characters. So now in my conflict deck, I'm mulligan, I'm looking for conflict characters. This deck tends to have more than normal conflict characters. They're still small. They're still cheap. Oh, yeah. They still cost one or two. But it's like, oh, if I can't buy the bodies from my dynasty board, I'm going to buy them from my hand instead. So I'm still like flooding the board with all these tiny little bodies exactly. to show up in the conflicts. Exactly. All right, so that's basically the swarm deck. I um, next up is the tower deck, right? Um, now right. the tower, it, it start when you when you're mulliganing for the tower. It always I I it starts off a little bit like a mid tier deck, except that in like you are still buying like maybe one or two super cheap guys at the beginning, and then saving your fate for like the big guys at the um like the three or four costers. But the thing is, the three or four costers you want to buy are unique characters, because the mm. the whole thing of the tower deck is to load that you that that uh three or four coster with as much attachment as you can, and putting them in into every single conflict, and then getting them standing up in every single conflict. So that's yeah. uh you know out of out of lion you know things like fan of command. Uh, what is it? Those, uh, not those who serve, but what's it? In service to my lord is a thing. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. you also got, um, you know, unicorn, uh, a unicorn, uh, favorite mount to put people into conflict. All you gotta do is just mm -hmm. get them in and then stand them up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's surprising how very little they buy in the first turn, because I've seen decks either buy only one character that is just doing, like, a token defense, like, I'm just going to do, and I'm going to buy one little one-drop character, put him on a defense, so maybe I don't lose two provinces in the first turn. Um, but I, I'm sitting on all of this money, on all these cards, so my second turn, when I buy my three or four cost that I'm going to make my tower out of, oh, I'm going to buy this character. I'm going to put, like, four or five fade on it. So I'm, this character's going to be around for the entire game, right. you know, assuming he doesn't get killed by something. And then I'm going to spend the rest of my money and you know, on my entire hand just loading it with every attachment I can get a hold of. Yep. And it's like, you know, at the end of it, you're going to have something crazy like he's got like 15 military and 14 political. And he's honored. Yeah. I do see some people who are trying with a tower. They will try to buy like what the uh, potential tower body too early, like a mid tier. Like, oh, it's the first turn. I, don't, I want to get in there. I've got some attachments. So I'm going to buy... You know, my three drop, put like two or three fade on them, start putting some attachments. And those, what happens there is they start running out of money way too quickly. Because, you know, the tower is expensive, the attachments are expensive. Right. So you really need that one turn of just like being able to like eat those losses. Uh, but I'm gaining so much money out of it so I can afford my big strategy later on down the line. Yeah. And, um, again, ideally you want the your tower to be a unique character, because with unique characters, it, again, a card called In Service to My Lord, out of Lion, basically, that lets you bow a non-unique character to ready a unique character. 
also, like, you know, you could remember, you could always discard a, a duplicate, the card with the same name as something that's already on the board, the unique character with the same name um, that's already on the board to put extra fate on it. So that's another way for you mm-hmm. to put extra fate on cards, right? And obviously, yeah. ideally, you want your, you know, your fate costed, your uh, your tower to be at least a three cost or higher. Um, sometimes you yeah, do have to start with a two cost or higher because, hey, it's round three and I haven't seen the three cost yet. And, and for, for clarity, the reason you want to have it as a three cost at least is, well, for one, three costers just tend to have better stats, but also if it costs one or two, there's a very prolific card called Assassination. It costs uh, 300 to play, and I can just instantly kill a character that costs one or two fate. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a big risk to start building a tower and something that could be instantly killed. That's also why you want to put, like, those tower decks play things like Finger of Jade, uh, Finger of Jade on there uh, because there are kill effects out there in the game. But if the tower dies, you've basically lost the game instantly. So you're doing everything you can to protect this tower as while also at the same Pretty time much. throw it to as many conflicts as you can. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, I guess the last one is the uh, last deck type that you're going to be looking at is called Big Hand Small Board. Now, mm-hmm. this is basically, what you generally, what you probably hear this as um, the Dishonored deck, right? Yeah, this is, this is what Scorpion does. It's a term that I heard, uh, Frotop was the first uh, person who I heard talk about this. You know, popular L5R player over on the Jade Throne podcast. Yeah. Uh, he said uh, that phrase first, but uh, it... It's mostly a scorpion thing. I've seen it in a few others. Phoenix does it a little bit. The idea of big hand, small board is, for most of the game, you're buying very little from the dynasty. You're buying, like, one or two characters, and you don't really care about them. Like, these characters are only there to poke attack. So we're I just want to start an attack, and I'm keeping all the money because the cards in my hand are so powerful and so useful, but generally expensive, that that's where the real threat is coming from. So if I got my little one or two drop out there, I'm just going to go poke and stuff. You can bow it. You can kill it. I don't really care because it's my hand that's doing all the damage here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, the Scorpions. The Scorpions do have some pretty good um, Dynasty cards, right? Like, but, like, sure. and Scorpions Dynasty card, like, one of them is, can, uh, can, can swing the game pretty hard, uh, pretty, pretty widely. Like, cards like Alibi Artist, you know, which draws you a card if you are of lower honor, or Blackmail Artist, where it drains honor from you. So, uh, you know, and then, you know, other cards like, uh, out of Phoenix, you got, um, Solemn Scholar, which if you have the Earth Ring, you bow and attack the character. So, things like that, where it's like, where you're buying, you may be only buying one or two cards a turn, uh, at, at the start of the game. And these could be just like, you know, one cost or two costs at most, but they do have significantly powerful effects where they do cascade with other cards that's in your conflict, in your in your hand. Think out of Scorpion, things oh, could yeah. be things like, you know, For Shame or whatnot, and out of Phoenix, it could be things like Supernatural Storm and whatever. Absolutely. Uh, most, I don't think any deck in the game is tries to get, like, oh, all my characters, I want to have the most stats and have the most powerful abilities on there. Not a even slice across the board for everybody but uh, i think scorpion phoenix and some other people have uh more abilities to do right. that than others yeah and the big thing the difference is we're unlike 
mid-tier Scorpion where, oh, like a Swarm deck. Oh, they've got a bunch of tiny people also. But I'm not, uh, as someone the, like a Scorpion deck or some of these other uh, small board decks, I'm not going to ch- try to buy all of my little people. I'm only buying one or two yep. a turn. That's and, it. <laughs> and here's the other thing with the, with these, um, I, I guess with the Scorpion, with the Phoenix, yeah, you, one of your goals is to try to break, which, which is why you have a card that will let you do that. But with other cards, sometimes your goal is not to break. Hmm. So, but that's we're that's getting into the nitty gritty of it all. So next we've done. Uh, so we, we've covered all the basic standard types. Um, just keep in mind that all these deck types does have a have a, have a weakness. Sometimes some people say a significant weakness. Like there are counterplays to every single one of these decks. So not one of these decks are completely bulletproof, invincible. It's just too much to talk about. Um, in yeah. In this, uh, but uh, just like on a high level, just know that each one of these decks have a have a silver bullet. Um, yeah, no, no deck is immune to everything unless you're Scorpion. Then you just do whatever. No, no, no. <laughs> Scorpion has a hard time with Lion Honor Run. We did, the, it, 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 it. It really does. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> so next is uh, speaking of Honor Running and Scorpion, <laughs> we go into sure. Honor Bidding. <laughs> What do you okay. bid, and why so, is it so, five? So, so we're done with Dynasty. We we've mulliganed everything. We've bought and invested in our characters. So now we're going to the to the we're picking up bid dial. What do we bid? Well, we're bidding we're five. Bidding five. Sorry, why are we bidding? Because five, five cards is better than one card. Five cards is, is better than four <laughs> cards. Five card is better than three or two or one card. Uh, you know, card yeah. card advantage having more cards than my opponent, or at least not falling behind in how many cards I have. You know, every card is a opportunity to interact with the game in a meaningful way. And the more cards you have, the more opportunities you have that. Even if you're, all your cards are quote-unquote worthless, you still have more opportunities to get in there. But when do... So that's why you have to see always people bidding five. But at a certain point, you can't bid five anymore. What are the situations where we cannot bid five anymore? When your opponent is at 21 honor, when you're at four honor, or in... Or if you see that your opponent's playing way to chrysanthemum, and you know if you bid anything other than one, they're gonna play way to chrysanthemum and get to twenty-five honor. Uh, what is what is, what is way of chrysanthemum? Basic- <laughs> also, I, I, I disagree with your numbers there, but let's go. Let's take a look one step out of the five. What's a way of chrysanthemum? Way to chrysanthemum basically doubles your honor gain from um, bid uh, from bid tiles. So if I bid five and you bid one, you play way of chrysanthemum, and I get eight and honor. You're gonna. You're going to get 8 honor instead of 4 honor yep. in the difference. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you'd be still even on the honor decks. I don't think you really see that played right now a whole lot. Yeah, you wa- uh, you, you're, you, you're not the one that has lost to Wade of Chrysanthemum, like, multiple times. Because you did not respect that card. <laughs> hey, hey, you're the one who's, like, trying to uh, display a power of water. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'm never going to live that down, am I? I you know, no, you I I like it when you're so excited about the game. One time, Sar uh, texts me a picture that's just a picture of Jagoku versus Anil. It's like, I won the game. You're so excited. <laughs> I did. It was kind of like my only, it was like the only time I ever won against him. And <laughs> apparently, it's like, look, I, I've i always maintained I'm not the best player of the game, right? I judge, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I, I consider myself to be like a mid-tier decent player, right? Um, but yeah. the fact that I could actually beat Anil 
you know, even in a, just a casual game, that's kind of that's big to me. It's like I I I I, I get I get kind of braggy about that. I get the same kind. I mean, I did the same thing when I beat uh, Steve Palumbo the first time. <laughs> he's he's you know, Anil's not a god. He is a man. He bleeds. <laughs> you, know? you have no proof. <laughs> Anyway, this is wildly off topic. Let's get back on here and stuff. So I kind of disagree with your numbers, but also I want to highlight that there are more uh, situations when to do it. The rough math I figured out is what's the bids or what's one player? It doesn't matter who it is. Gets to about seven honor. Uh, then the bids need to scoot down to about three. You see that happens a lot because. There is a threshold where if your honor gets too low, you're going to be forced into a situation where you start bidding one, and then you're not drawing any cards. And at that point, your opponent just, with their extra cards, just starts pushing you to a hole, and you're like caught in this death spiral because, well, now you can't bid uh, high again because you're going to lose by honor, but then you're going to lose the game just normally because you have no card. It's a lose-lose situation. So you want to, like, taper things off in a respectable manner. Um... I mentioned seven because dishonor is far more prevalent than yeah. honor in this game right now. Although an honor has made a uh, resurgence in this game recently, but generally speaking, yeah, once you get to a, a one of the players, it doesn't. So even if I like, if you're beating me and uh, I'm at uh, seven honor and you're still at like ten or eleven, uh, you should still bid down to three, just to. You want to maintain a decent amount of cards in your hand while still maintaining that honor pressure on there. Because if, I, if I'm if i at 7 and I bid 5, and you bid 3, well, now you just drop me down to 5 honor, when now I'm in this, getting into the danger zone, and you've still maintained a fairly healthy amount of cards. I'm only getting two more cards uh, than you. Right. So, and, you know, the reason why I like uh, you got to respect the dishonor game is because... Dishonored decks will always run three copies of the card back in a complement, right? If you ever get to three honor against a dishonor deck, you're probably going to die at that point. Uh, that's absolutely true. At least if they're playing score, because there's other dishonored decks like uh, Crab Watch Commander. Hasn't seen a lot of play lately and stuff, but uh, they didn't really do a whole lot of Scorpion Splash for backhanded. No, but they can also just drain you by every time you play card. Um, it should be noticed that uh, I know you said four. I would actually say once you hit five honor, when one of the players hit five honors, then the bids need to drop down to one. Again, it doesn't matter if you're winning or losing. The bids need to drop down to one so you maintain that pressure. Yeah. Just because if I have five and you have uh, the other person bids one, now I'm down to one honor. Uh, I know at four, like, I could just lose instantly, but being at one honor, just, like, I'm panicking because any single dishonor token, air ring activation, anything can just toss me over the board. Oh, yeah. Even regardless of backhanded compliment. Yeah. No, so, that's, yeah. Uh, uh, one honor is a thing. Uh, but remember, as long as you have one point of honor, as long as you have one unbroken province, as long as you have, you are, you are still in the game. So to reiterate, yeah, if, if a player is at seven honor, drop your bids down to three. If your bid is at, uh, if, I, if an honor level is at five, drop it down to one. Uh, you can kind of inverse it for honor decks, but honor decks are so new, I don't know 
exactly when the point is. It probably is like once someone gets around 2019 honor, you start doing the same kind of right. thing. Uh, but honor works. See, uh, dishonor is easier to get because the getting uh, someone from 10 down to zero is much shorter from someone starting at like 10 or 13 and getting them all the way to 25. Right. Uh, and the honor decks gain so much more honor. Uh, like the honor deck that happens right now at a lion is just like most other characters are gaining a single honor. So at a certain point, the bids don't even matter. I've actually seen a lot of the lion decks right now. They start bidding one right out the gate to get the extra five because all their honor is coming from dynasty side. That's not depending on their cards. So they just start going, bloop, 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 getting a bunch of honor. Right. All right. So, so that is the but, honor bidding 101. Sure. <clears throat> And uh, next, ring selection. So, you rings. have five, five rings. rings in this legend. <laughs> and they're all legendary. <laughs> Are all the rings equal, my friend? Uh, in theory, yes. In theory, I do believe that they are at equal power level. Situationally, oh, hell no. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> oh, hell no. Uh, situationally, no. Um, here's uh, Okay, so... On your first attack out of the gate, on your if you are the first player, and you are the first and you have the first attack opportunity, your ring choices is basically going to be Earth or Void, and that's just the only two yeah. rings you're going to pick. Earth. And of the two, it's probably out of Earth the two, first. it's probably going to be Earth first. Um, Earth draws you a card and forces your opponent to discard a card. That is basically a two-card swing. We were just talking earlier about the importance of card advantage mm-hmm. in the honor bids. This is the that atomified, yeah. you know. Not only do you just gain a card, like gaining a card, always useful. Yeah. Uh, always valuable in the game. Um, having your opponent randomly lose a card, maybe accidentally taking one a card that's like really critical to their game plan mm-hmm. out of the equation. Massive swing. Huge. Huge swing. Um, so that's that's the argument for the Earth Ring, the Void Ring argument is, say... Void's a bit more subtle. It, it <laughs> is a, a little bit subtle. more subtle. It's more about, like, um, your opponent only put one fate on their ta- on, on a potential tower. Well, maybe the Void Ring is the one, is the ring you gotta go with, you gotta go for, because you also got a guy with only one fate that you wanna keep around for a while. Yeah. Yeah, the Void and, and fate on characters is instrumental toward the long-term play of the game. Like, it, it doesn't matter so much the first turn, but, like, on turn three and five, like, who's still on the board and who's still activating right now? This is heavily dependent on fate and investment decisions that was made very early on. Yeah. Absolutely. So, those are the two rings. Now, that is not to say that you can't use, you can't, uh, you know use another ring. If you're a keeper of air and you got all three keepers at the bottom and you and you know, and you're playing a heavy dishonor deck, then maybe yeah, you wanna go air ring. Yeah. Air's special because air is kind of worthless as a ring until it becomes the most important game ring in the mm-hmm. game as a ring. Depending on who is at critical honor points. And it don't you don't have to necessarily be a dishonor deck, you know. No. If you have been bidding properly and 
you know, you with a dropping down your bids occasionally to get your opponent down to a critical area. Maybe a few of the characters died with some dishonor tokens on there and stuff. You can start going air and start pressuring their honor. And keep in mind, while honor is low, you don't have to dishonor them for a low honor to threaten yeah. them. Because if their honor is low, it forces them to bid lower. If they're bidding lower, they're getting less cards. So even if you're like a not honor, not dishonor deck, maintaining honor pressure is still a very fundamental part of the game. Absolutely. But it, that being said, not necessarily something you want to do in the first couple of turns of the game. Exactly. <laughs> it's not that useful. <laughs> I I don't know. I've I like okay. My scorpion deck. I've always said this before. My scorpion deck. If it doesn't win by turn two, it chances of winning drops forty percent. Because I run my my scorpion deck is very much a um, is a blitz dishonor deck, right? So mm -hmm. I kind of have to go. I kind of have to start pressuring honor pretty early on in the game, and that's why generally when I'm playing that deck, I will generally do attack air first. But again, that's absolutely situational to that deck. Most cases, though, again, most cases your two rings out of the gate is going to be earth or void. I've actually, in the same token you're talking, I've seen some people, this is where we're getting a little bit into uh, matchup-specific mm -hmm. things, which might be too advanced if you're if you're a brand-new beginner who is given this episode to kind of get your head around things. This might be a little bit above your head, but um, as you learn your matchups, I've seen some people who are like, oh, I'm very, very weak versus Dishonor. So I'm going to start choosing air early, like my very first ring, just because I know in round three I'm, he's probably at the side of me, unless I start gaining honor really right. fast. So I've seen that strategy happen before. Um, and actually it's a, a card that is a bit warping, I should say, is called Display of Power. Yes. It's a Phoenix card uh, that you see a lot in Honor and Dishonor decks. And this has actually changed the idea that you want to bid, even like you don't want to bid even Earth or Void because of how valuable they are. Now, what Display of Power is, if you are attacked and they just, like, uh, lose a conflict and they didn't defend at all, they can play Display of Power, not lose the ring, they claim the ring, and they get to trigger the ring. Yep. So this turns Earth, Void, even Air, if you're trying to get that extra early honor and stuff, into a massive swing into the quote-unquote loser's favor. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so the only safe ring becomes Water. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's uh, display of power is a powerful card. It, I, mm. I, I still maintain that it's an expensive card to play. Um, sure. Because you're also losing. Remember, it has to be an undefended conflict, so you yeah. have to, you will eat that one honor loss for uh, for not defending. It costs two fate, yeah. and depending on the attack, it could cost you a province. I don't want to get too deep into Scorpion specifically, but Scorp any card that has honor loss actually makes Scorpion stronger because they have certain cards that activate when they are at a low honor threshold. Yeah. <laughs> Very powerful cards. Like Alibi Artists. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. We're, we're not getting we're, into that. We're talking so about rings that's, now. <laughs> that's ring selection. I mean, any other... I mean, yeah. I, guess, I guess while we're talking about the rest of the rings, like, you know, why wouldn't you want to go fire? Uh... None of the other rings generally have the inherent value that Earth and Void do. Now, there's a few caveats in there, especially in later ter turns after your first one. Um, any ring that has a fate on it, because of how valuable a fate is, 
I would actually choose those over any other uh, ring. So it's usually who has who has the most fate on it. That's my first selection. Then it's how powerful the rings yeah. are. Um, I'll take a air ring that has one or two fate on it or over earth and void. Absolutely, because I could do a lot with those. Yeah. Um, water, it, we haven't touched on a whole lot, is very situational. Um, it can be de- uh, like very devastating in the certain circumstances, but you have to... I can't come up with a matrix to just explain to new listeners all the permutations, because if you attack me early on and I've got like a bunch of characters with no fate on it, because you know I'm playing one of the uh, buy strategies where I'm buying very cheap people, not investing in them early on, well, Water Rain can hurt me and like knock me over, one of my characters over, I lose now an attack or potential defense right. out of there. Um, in late game situations and a lot of other things, hey, I got my big tower or I got my mid-tier character, I'm going to waste on a defense, but then I attack with Water Ring, I get to straighten it, so now he's available for another attack or defense. Um, it, it It's hard to say when Water is useful, you just have to really watch the board to see where it is always keep an eye on it realize it's always a threat uh because you could sit there after your dynasty phase have a whole strategy of how you think it's going to go and then your opponent attacks you water it's like oh no i either have to defend with something i didn't want to or uh, i'm just saying like oh my character is just going to be taken out of this uh conflict for the phase right so that's you know that's water and so okay so last ring we haven't talked about fire why not fire uh, fire is very dependent on, this is one where it's, it's more dependent on what your deck type is than anything else. Now, me as a crane, as a, this is a podcast we always know, I play crane, I love talking about it. Um, I would choose fire more often because I have high glory, so I'm getting more resources out of that. Now, because things like Scorpion exist, when most people build decks, they don't put a lot of glory on their care, like they don't choose to have a lot of glory characters in their board because if they come across someone with dishonor, that's just a net negative. It's very hard for most clans of this game to gain an honor token. Very easy to catch a dishonor token, and then it's just a hindrance. So that makes the earth fire ring, therefore, less valuable because all my characters have low glory. I'm not going to gain anything from an honor token. All their characters have low glory. They're not going to be severely weakened by a dishonor token. So who cares? Well. Crane cares. Um, dishonor decks care because while the penalty for being dishonored is not going to affect them very much, when that character dies and they lose one honor for having a dishonor token on it, that becomes very valuable. All right. So I think fire is very much the domain of what deck type are we playing right now. Exactly. And always fire always seems like really powerful, except that... And- until you realize just how situational it, it really is. It, it's actually, I actually have to break my mind of it because I, I play Crane so much. Like, fire is always like, I, my tier list is Earth, Void. Fire is like a solid number right. three. It's like right there for me, but it's much lower. Like, it's even lower than air for a lot it, of people. It's <laughs> lower. It's, it's very low. Like, uh, it, it's Unicorn Clan. Unicorn generally, Unicorn are, and Crab. Because their characters just like girls have relatively low glory, they kind of don't care about the fire ring unless you know unless they're trying to dishonor someone. Your characters out because they want to turn off cards like Voice of Water or something like that. 
it also does go into the fact that I was saying earlier about the, the bids. Like, you don't have to necessarily be a dedicated honor-dishonor deck for honor and dishonor wins being something of pressure on there. So just like the air ring, how you can choose that to maintain pressure on your opponent, you can also choose the earth ring and just throw it on somebody. So when that character dies, they lose honor. So because again, when your character starts, uh, your opponent starts getting down to like four, five, three honor, they have to modify their bid significantly to kind of stay right. in the game, and they can't uh, draw cards if they're doing that. So it is still part of the honor matchup. <laughs> I don't know the, the term for it. That they, you know, that that they, oh, ever be mindful of your honor right. values, right? Uh, yeah, so that is the rings. Um, anything else you got to talk about? Anything else you got for this, uh, for the section? For this first section, no, uh, we might do a little bit more of this in the future. There's not a whole lot of news coming out right now, but, uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to listen to some feedback, see what people like, what, what people want to learn, and let's talk about the basics for a while. Let's get back into the fundamentals. Let's figure this thing out. Uh, if anyone wants some clarity, we are always available online. I'm always trolling around Facebook, and we have our little, uh, chat room over there in the Discord area with the Court Games uh, link in the Discord right. area. Come ask us some questions. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess uh, to close this off, um, we, I guess a couple shout-outs here. Giving out a shout-out to the RPG half of the podcast with Jeannie Calvar and Corvar. And uh, they do a lot of really good, uh, good talk about the RPG as well as the lore side of Legend of the Five Rings. So if you are definitely into that, you know, the times where I really wish I could talk about lore and I really can't, I shouldn't because that's kind of like entering into their territory. I really, sometimes I wish I was on their podcast, but then I realize I don't play the RPG on that. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I wish I could get away from Trevor and his nonstop shenanigans. <laughs> and him reminding me of my watering folly. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, also, uh, be sure to check out courtgamespod.com, which is the website for the Court Games Podcast. Seabass runs that, and it's chock full of links, resources, and information about all things L5R, LCG, and RPG. Uh, CBAS also has an RPG application going on. I'm not too familiar with that. So, Trevor, why don't you talk about that? Uh, CBAS is starting an actual play. He's actually starting a couple of them, I believe. Well, he's still working out the details. But he submitted some applications for people who wish to participate in a actual play, uh, a record, it's a recording or a video. We're still working on the details, but if you wish to be involved in it as a GM or as a player, uh, he's posting the application on various parts of social media and on Discord, so pop over there, check it out if you're, it's something you wouldn't be interested. Send an application in. Um, he wasn't getting too many hits on there, so he actually lowered it because he, like, he, he was scared he made the, the application uh, too daunting. Made it sound like, oh, it's going to be a very demanding <laughs> No, just come play some RPGs. It's really right. Chill. Okay. So if it's something you want to be checked out, go check All it right. out. And also, uh, be sure to um, check out the Patreon. The Patreon does support things like the podcast as well as the Discord, which also has a lot of good things that Bass has been doing. And it's generally, it's kind of mm-hmm. like a, um, a hub and a forum for a lot of people to discuss ideas. Talk all things L5R. Uh, and last thing, I guess, any other shout-outs for you, Trevor? Yeah, I just want to give a shout-out to my favorite judge out there, me. Because I'm sitting there looking at SARS plays. I'm looking at, like, it's like Seymour Skinner. I'm looking at pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, anyway. I, I'm judging you. Ha <laughs> ha! The tables have been turned. Oh, uh, my shout-out is also, it's also going to be to a judge. Um, I can't say the name of the judge, um, but it's going to be a judge at the L.A. County Superior Court, which dismissed my ticket recently. Oh, jeez. You're getting away with your shenanigans. <laughs> what do you mean, my shenanigans? The judge dismissed the charge. I'm trying to think if like that story ever got into one of these podcasts. I think it got edited. I out. think it got edited out, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> come talk to me later on if you want to know the whole story. Anyway, this is Zar Agus, the Haughty Magistrate, signing off. Sign everyone, this is Trevor Hewitt.